Welcome to the Disrupt Now podcast, episode number 12. The Disrupt Now podcast, created by Natalie Viglione, entrepreneur and founder of Team Goo. It's designed to help people break down the walls around them, construct the ultimate vision of their lives, and provides the tools, tips, and techniques to disrupt their status quo. We shine a light on the good, the bad, and the ugly to help build the roadmap to your dreams. We talk with today's most effective disruptors in every area from art and design to technology and finance and even health and well-being. Our guests bring topics to light that help others to shake themselves free and can give them a whole new outlook on life. Welcome to the Disrupt Now podcast. Today we have an amazing woman, Ari Faye Bronson Davidson. Ari is the artistic director and founder of Kinetic Architecture Dance Theater and downtown nightlife performance artist. She's a transgender choreographer, and as the founder of KADT, she hopes to reimagine what dance has the potential to be through openness to diverse influences in order to create work that serves as poetic activism for the issues of self-love, social equality, and continued understanding of transgender people. Her goal is to build a home and studio for her group in downtown NYC, helping underrepresented artists. Ari, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. And we're really, really, really excited to talk about all the amazing things that you're disrupting. (laughs) Well, it's wonderful to be here with you today. Uh, well, we, you know, I I have known you for a while now, and it's been such an honor um, to to just, you know, be with you and around you and work with you. And I'm I'm so excited to help, you know, spread your message and your ethos into the world even a little bit further. And you know, together, hopefully, we can you know, bring awareness to really, really, really important issues. So that that's really my goal for this entire podcast is to help bring to light things that people need to talk about. Well, um, I'm flattered to know that I have an ethos. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and you're in- incredibly funny. So this is going to be fun. <laughs> now, at this point, I will not say one more funny thing. So that just Damn killed that. But anyway. <laughs> Oh, well, worth a shot, right? (laughs) All right. So let's kick this off Um, and and start, you know, I I will, I think it's, you know, there's so many avenues of where we can go and, but I really, really, really would like to discuss, you know, how you're disrupting the dance community um, and, and kind of your evolution as a dancer and a choreographer and a teacher. And, and then we can kind of spread into other, some other areas and kind of go where we ev- wherever we want to go. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's sort of a, a big question. It is. <laughs> um, it is. <laughs> so I, I suppose the simplest answer to how um, myself or 
someone of my population, speaking of the transgender community, um, the most basic answer to how am I disrupting the dance community is by my mere existence in it. (laughs) First, um, the fact that um, any person from a marginalized minority group is not just functioning or trying to be employed in, but um, creating and or being a driving force within a field is going to just by nature disrupt it. Uh, I, I think sometimes um, the word disrupt has come to to some to be a negative word, uh, just in sort of popular way of using it. But sometimes just, you know, when the tide comes in in the ocean, it just disrupts what was going on before. It's just nature. And part of our cultural and social evolution is when groups that have been either purposefully excluded or just because there are fewer of those people that are able or willing to um, have a public voice start to uh, swell um when that happens, it's disruptive, it, and that's not necessarily good or bad. It's just evolution. So, so the, the most basic thing is that I'm here doing it in the first place. But I think what allows me to um, be disruptive, maybe on a more successful level, is the fact that I have spent the better part of my life uh, training as a professional dancer and choreographer. So... Um, I have the same skill set and background that someone who is cisgendered uh, has uh, because because that's the other aspect that is so important for for voices from um, underrepresented populations is at the end of the day, what we do in whatever field it is has to be just as good sometimes two or three times better for us to be heard. Um, so in terms of that, uh, you know, it, it's it's not a matter of I'm transgender. What will I do to have a voice? I have been in performative art and dance and choreography most of my life. While I've always known that I was born in the wrong body, um, it wasn't it wasn't as if I came out, started transitioning, and then decided. I'll also jump into dance now. Um, so so I did come, in terms of my work evolving with me and, and being about uh, feminist and, and gender-related discrepancies in our culture, I had the tools to, I think, manifest work that cannot be ignored. If that's if that at least gives you a starting point with an answer to that, <laughs> that's a beautiful starting point. And I just have to ask: Is that Chewy in the background? <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, radio audience at home. I forgot. I forgot to turn the ringer down on my phone. And you are right; it is Chewy. I'm going to give you style. I love you get that. style points because so many po- people say, "Is that a cow?" And I, I'm offended. Oh no! But that's when, when I get a te- when I get a text, it is Chewbacca. <laughs> if so- if someone had been calling me, it would be Darth Vader breathing. But I turned the sound down. And so total, total faux pas, which, of course, is my stage name. So it's, it's okay. But, but it's, uh, yeah, I forgot. So you were hearing live 
right here. Right. Chewbacca is disrupting Chewbacca. the world with us because I am here to support transgender and rights for Wookiees everywhere. Well, so. I think that is also a very topic to discuss. I, and you know, it's so funny because you know we have such like a, it's such a deep conversation in the Chewies in the background. It's just perfect, actually. Well, I, I do have to say though that if you are if you are trapped in a body and you know you're a Wookiee, that's a whole different set of hormones. That yeah, that you're going to have be, to take. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a whole other thing that has to. Oh gosh, I'm literally crying right now. <laughs> I love it. I we're so you know just gonna go with that because it's just it's wonderful, <laughs> and I do love Chewy. So, <laughs> um, but getting back to what you just said, um, you know, I think that uh, the 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 really interesting fact of of your choreography and you know what really draws me to you in general is the fact that it's such a powerful story. Um, your story is also equally as powerful. And it's your, uh, your expression of, you know, in a, in a no apologies um, format. And so, you know, what has been your experience in taking the, the, the dance that you've created, the, uh, the stories that you're creating, um, you know, how do you how you feel people are, you know, in accepting it? And, you know, of course, once they, you know, see and move with you, even if it's, you know, watching a video, um, you know, I feel like it can really change, change the way they perceive everything. Um, what has been some of your experiences around, you know, bringing this whole existence into a reality for you and the dancers? Um. I mean, I think the interesting part is when, or maybe not, maybe it's totally boring, but, <laughs> but um, to, because that was a very presumptuous thing to start with, I think. Um, well, to answer your question, um, I didn't, you know, I never sat down one day, I, I, I guess being someone who's a performance artist, uh, as a solo artist, and with my wife in the downtown nightlife scene and then having a dance company, I never sat down and said, how can I make work that is incredibly edgy and possibly shocking and, and makes people fall out of their comfort zone? It wasn't sort of like a plan. Um, it was more just, uh, I think I, I went through a little bit of a creative process crisis when I, I started openly transitioning, even though I was had been making work for a long time, in that I'm in a field where my body is the instrument. And knowing that my body is going to change, um, and you can't sort of... Uh, you can't dictate what a viewer will see always in terms of the perception of a physical body in space. So being someone who has used their body as a choreographer, but also in much of the work, uh, we use the body political, politically as a statement. So there is nudity sometimes in the work. There are um, things that we employ symbolic elements. And 
for me, I almost quit going on stage myself for a short time because there was just a crisis for me of what my body felt like, what it looked like, what it would be perceived to be. And it wasn't a matter of consciously going, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, to do these things. It was more, um, of going back to my roots. Uh, one of the things that stuck with me from, my composition classes was, was a quote by Lester Horton, who was also Alvin Ailey's uh, mentor, um, that, that to make a dance, you use who you are, what you are, your heritage and where you come from. And so when I tell a story, well, at the end of the day, the difference between indulgence and, and something watchable is they both come from a personal place. But if you have hopefully some sort of talent and training and sensitivity to making theater, you take that personal thing to a platform where other people can connect to it. You still have to start from what you know. You can't just sort of fabricate experiences. And I have, I have never shied away from utilizing probably the most raw personal experiences in my art. Um, I mean, I guess maybe the best way to explain that to someone who hasn't seen me is the other night I was on a Pride Benefit show and I was doing this number that I call Queer Leader and I've, I, I've constructed an entire cheerleading outfit out of garbage bags, pom-poms, everything. And and it's it's a very upbeat number, but it's just, it's silly, but then it's ridiculous, but then it's some people might think there are aspects that like are just too shocking. And everyone else on this this big pride benefit was either this gorgeous tall drag queen or, you know, sexy buff gay man. And I'm just this silly, short, trans woman, garbage cheerleader standing backstage. And after the show, this beautiful, um, I consider him almost like a brother, Atticus, who's a videographer. Um, he he said, oh, it was so good. And I said, oh, you know, I feel ridiculous sometimes, you know. And uh, he said, no. I love that you're willing to be so vulnerable and so ridiculous. Um, people, I watch the audience and they're just delighted that it's even happening and they're shocked but filled with joy at the same time. And I think where I got through my crisis for myself as, a, as an artist was I stopped trying to be the cliche. You know, it's like I realized a couple years into my transition, I'm not Marilyn Monroe, I'm not Audrey Hepburn, I'm Lucille Ball. <laughs> you know, and 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 it's fine because she's beautiful too. It's just uh, that's who I. I mean, if I have sort of if I had to emulate somebody instead, it's more natural for me. Even when I'm making you cry, it's because you're connecting with how ridiculous some situations for all of us as humans can be. So the way that translates into my my more, um, I guess, the dance company is, I'm a storyteller. I do narrative work. I tend to pick, as we did last season, like with the, the Lewis Carroll, Alice in Wonderland, Through the Looking Glass books, and riff on something that's part of common history. It gives us a starting place. And so this season, we're going to be doing um, uh, using Wizard of Oz to springboard into a production called Twisters and Witches. But I guess to give you a, a real good example of how people react, we got eight reviews from last year's production of Wonder. Seven of them, I mean, they were all very good reviews and a good review isn't all raving or all scathing, but one review in particular um, 
was a, a white cisgendered male, and he raved about the dancers in the company who are cis women of different sexualities. Um, he, from his comments in the review, really struggled every time I was on stage. And so it was such a consistent discrepancy that I really felt he had a hard time with me on stage. I also got a really amazing uh, personal Facebook message from a cis man who's um, goes to a lot of cabaret shows but had never seen the company. And he he wrote to me that he didn't quite understand all of it and almost felt like he was watching something he either shouldn't be watching or he had stumbled into a different world, but it had caused him to think about a lot of things he had never considered. Um, on the furthest extreme from that, I have done acts on downtown stages where I have had audiences cheer. I have also gotten hate email over it. So, <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, to be honest, it, it breaks your heart in the moment, but I still take it as a compliment because I guess, um, I'm a Martha Graham trained dancer and, you know, um, she said better to have them hate you than to be ambivalent. <laughs> so yeah. yes. I guess to yes. I guess to wrap up that question, at the end of the day, I, I I guess the one conscious choice I make, attempt to make with my art is if you choose to show up, you can't unsee it, it will be burned on your brain forever. And like me or not, you will not ignore what we're doing. You will not start thinking about going to Trader Joe's during my show. <laughs> right, which, you know, that's that's the truth too because um you know when when we first met and I you know had we we had started talking and the the thing that I felt you know of course we've all gone to some kind of you know dance related show and you know you show up and you know what to expect and I think you know that's the interesting thing is that you just start to get into as a human in general in life in, in many ways, we show up and we just know kind of what to expect. But you know, when you, when you go into an experience and you are watching your, um, your stories unfold in a dance, you know, in, in movement, um, you can't ignore that it makes you feel differently and that it does make you think. You do start thinking you're captivated by what's happening which I kind of want to say doesn't happen in normal, what I want to say, quote unquote, status quo, um, you know, dance related shows. I mean, just kind of a, a, a you know, an observation, if anything. <laughs> but, well, thank you. Yes, yes. I, I think that's, um, I think that's really at the core what, what, you know, makes you as an artist expressive and different because you are really truly working from a place that's inside and you know part of this disrupt now program and, and this podcast is to help people understand you know it's okay to be vulnerable to express your soul to to you know take away the masks that you're hiding behind um, because you know for you and and being you know open about your transition 
I mean, that experience alone is, you know, empowering and beautiful. Um, but I, you know, I'm sure it does make some people think like, wow, um, you know, just that wow. And, but, you know, through your process and, you know, going through this transition, um, how do you think you moved out of your way to just kind of say, you know what, I have to do this and I have to do this openly? Um, because I'm sure that wasn't always an easy decision for you. So you're you're asking me when I came to the point I have to transition? Yeah, and, and when you were just, and, and becoming open about it to share uh -huh. with, you know. Uh, right. Outside well, of your um, circle. Sure. Um, well, I mean, you know, there are still a great number of people that think that um, loving someone of the same sex or or someone who is born in the wrong body is a choice, which it is not. And the only choice that a trans person has is whether they're going to transition or not. Right. Um, I knew from my earliest conscious thoughts as a child, I was a girl um, being raised in a a military Christian home, you know, and, and, you know, I, I'm a little vintage audience at home. I, I've reached it. I've reached the age where it's better to lie up. You know, it's more impressive to lie up. So people are like, you look so great. Um, but, but I grew up at a time where we had three TV channels in PBS. That was it. Mm -hmm. And so there was no Oprah. There was, I didn't hear the word transgender until you know, as a teenager. So for me, knowing I was a girl was really an isolating, um, bizarre, I must be out of my mind and I am not going to express this because I'll be sent away to some psychiatric ward. And uh, the more I grew up, even though I started to understand, it was still an environment for me that uh, was not conducive to talking about it. I, I guess I had this sort of built-in default of going to high school in the 80s. So even though I was wearing dresses to school and makeup and carrying a purse, my mom just thought it was this phase she hated. And I was just trying to be like New Wave and like Boy George or something, you know. Right. right. So, right. so she just thought I was I was being rebellious, you know. And and I mean, as a young adult, I've tr I tried sincerely to um, live uh as, as the incorrect sex as a male. And it, it was always not successful, whether it be relationships or just being happy mm -hmm. in any situation. Mm -hmm. And f so for me, and everyone's different. I, um, for me, it came to a point where I knew that I, I was exhausted trying to be several people to different populations in my life. I, I thought I would literally maybe be dead within a year if nothing changed. Um, and so, uh, you know, that was the, the, t the tipping point for me personally. Um, and it's not e easy. I mean, no, with all of the hardships, while trans, uh, people are, are one of the most unemployable groups in America. Um, and I mean, my biological, I don't have biological family that speaks to me. So that's sort of one of the, Ugh. Boy. The things you have to consider. I mean, yeah. it's getting, it's changing. It's wonderful, and I'm, I'm. It's you know that that now people can come out younger and and have support. But these are all things like 
for me, it wasn't a matter of any more. I mean, it's not like the the relationships were wonderful and and it caused it caused the death sentence or anything. It was sort of like these relationships were already on a lifeline. So um, but so for me, it was literally a matter of life and death. I just was like, this is I'm going to be dead. This is my life is not working. I know who I am. And that is not to say, I mean, when people make the other choice not to transition um, or to speak of the population of people that is more gender fluid and and does not knows they are third or other or spirit gendered as 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 ancient cultures recognize more than one gender. For me, um, while modern psychology is so behind and still wants to classify it as gender dysphoria. I have no psychological issue with my the fact I'm a woman. Any depression or psychological issues I have suffered are because of the abuse that has happened to me. Right. I feel like what needs to happen in our medical community is I was born with a physical birth defect. I was born with a defect that caused my body to develop in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. on the anatomical scale. And so there's nothing wrong with my mind. It is that like any defect, if we have the capability to correct it, right. you fix it. And so that's that's what I had to deal with. In terms of being open about it, um, having someone who's been on the stage my whole life, I, I can completely see why someone who's transitioning who has a different kind of career might choose to keep it more private. I totally understand and respect that. I almost I don't want to take credit for being too brave in that I have a public life. I'm an artist. So right. I my decision was, you know, I'm going to use it in the art, but also people that I don't even know are going to formulate an opinion about me. I would much rather drive that opinion than let them do it passively, sit here and let them make assumptions about me. Right. So even though it's still painful, there's there's nothing linear in life about, well, I made that decision and everything's great now. Um, it, It still was like, I have to, I have to drive this perception of who I am even when it's unpleasant and difficult and not be the victim of of um, sort of misunderstandings about about what's going on with me, mm-hmm. I guess, to to answer that question for you. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that the biggest lesson in this, too, is, is you know, you really decided that, you know, the fear of what could have happened otherwise, you know, was just not worth sacrificing your total, true, holistic happiness um, and, and, you know, making your life right for you. And that's, you know, that's not easy to do ever. And I think, you know, it'll always go in those evolutions, right? Um, Every week, every month, right? (laughs) Something. Yeah. And and I mean, when people... I still, you know, it's a constant battle. When someone says you're arguing semantics, I'm like, well, yes, I am, because we communicate with language. So, of course, I'm arguing what words mean. Um, But when someone tries to, you know, you get a lot of guilt from people 
from your family or that, that somehow it's about them and why did you do this to us, yes. which is, is completely false. And the other thing, I mean, the best analogy I can give is, look, door number one, you're born in a body that you pretty much feel comfortable in and you go about navigating your life. Door number two, your body's completely wrong and if you fix it, your family won't talk to you, it will be harder to get a job, and you're gonna take abuse on the street. I'll take door number two. You you don't right. you wouldn't choose right. it. You wouldn't you no. wouldn't choose that. You wouldn't say, I that looks like a pretty good deal to me. Um, while I do I am not ashamed of who I am, when people say you made choices. I'm like, that's the most ignorant thing you can say to me. Because who would choose just to do something that is, while it's making you happier as an individual, going to cause you incredible challenges and sometimes put you in danger in the world? No rational person of any gender, sex, race would consciously just choose that. Right, you know? right, exactly. So so it's an infuriating assumption that is still prevalent in our culture. It is, it is. And, you know, I, I think your, your ultimate vision wrapped around, you know, helping, you know, underrepresented artists and, and you know, others that feel that kind of, you know, word, worldly mediocrity and status quo of, you know, what life's supposed to be or what people are supposed to be, you know, helping people break down those walls because, you know, it's it's 2017, people. Like, gee, when it wins. Wait, it's, it's 2017. <laughs> My calendar says 1952. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> when, when are we going to catch up? I mean, it's just, it's, you know, it's it's sad and, you know, I think, you know, the the empowering um, voice that you have is, you know, going to help change so many people's lives on a grander scale um, because it is, you know, in and moving through this process that's the hardest thing just because of all of the other, you know, I mean, it's, it's I mean, just talk about, I mean, don't even, that's like a whole other ball of wax to talk about you know, family not speaking to you. I mean, what, I, I could go on that, that you know, box <laughs> for like hours. It's, it's sick and it's, you know, it's wrong. And, you know, at, what is love if, if, you know, you can't love the being regardless of what the soul is or is not? I mean, what does it matter? I just, I, when, when can we disrupt what love truly is? You know, we actually had a, a wonderful love and relationship coach on um, the podcast. And, you know, she was talking about that love truly can move humanity forward. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you know, that's truth. That's so, tr it's just, it is truth. And, you know, I love you. And, you know, I, I, you know, hope that, you know, others can feel that from you and that, you know, they can be embraced and they can, you know, have this process through their evolution, you know, even if it's slightly easier just to be able to be open about it, um, that can mean everything. Sure. So anyway, I just, you know, had to get on that little soapbox for a minute. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> um, so 
what what is let's talk about you know some some really big things that you are doing and you know let's talk about you and your wife for a minute too because you know she's an amazing dancer and you know yes she is you were married around the same time we were last year which is amazing to celebrated a year anniversary which is amazing <laughs> um, what have you guys got cooking up um this year um we're very busy we're very fortunate to have that problem um we outside of the company she is the the company manager um so that you know we're a good team so that i know where the hell i have to be when but (laughs) but um but we uh both do perform as soloists and we perform as a, a circus cabaret duo called the brides of burlesque and um we are both regulars in the cast of the box downtown and uh, perform throughout the city at different cabaret venues. And we um, are creating our f- a full-length one-hour cabaret duet show in which uh, we do circus together. I, I'm a storyteller comedian. She's a singer, so we have, like, original songs, and that's called Kinktasia. Um, I love that name, by the way. So, you know, <laughs> it's amazing. It's, 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 you know, why should the fantasy stop when you're over 18? Um, <laughs> exactly. So just the rides are a little different. That's all. <laughs> um, and, and we recently, we did our bachelorette party at Stonewall Inn and we recently, we did our one year anniversary show at Stonewall Inn, which is, you know, where one of the, the places that is integral in, in the whole LGBTQ civil rights movement from the riots in 1969. Right. And uh, we're going to actually, um, coming up during Pride Month, we ha- there is a, an amazing world-renowned body painter, Trina Marie, who is going to camouflage paint us into the bricks of Stonewall Inn. Oh, um, that is and awesome. And so, a sort of a statement that, that the lives of, of of queer people like are the building blocks of of this place um and we yeah we can be seen all the time um a lot of pride shows this month and and you know constant sort of performances um and i think that it's i mean it's it's uh interest uh, interesting i think the one thing i would say to to younger uh trans or gay or lesbian or bisexual people is you know there the the threads of puritanical patriarchal thinking whether you're raised in an overtly religious household like I was or not are so embedded in most of America that there there seems to be this brainwashing of neat linear progression of life right which boxes you in and even if you make a major life decision or a crisis causes something in your life that then you're over that and you go on to the next and I think that well I mean to be completely open with your audience I probably suffer a minor nervous breakdown five or six times a week Um, but, but what the difference between that and falling off a cliff is letting go of the expectation you've ever really totally um, gotten over anything. 
Right. I think what we do is we grow to accept things that have happened and know it's not my fault. There's nothing I can do about it. But the wound is there. There's scar tissue, just like a physical wound. And just like if you have a wound that's healed on a rainy day, it talks to you. You might have a certain day where that emotional wound talks to you. Right. And, you know, with us, we're very happy married lesbians um but there there are still days where we walk down the street and anyone can talk about how shocked they are but we get shit just for holding hands or um you know there's just sometimes we have to walk two blocks out of our way because there's a group of people that we see that we're like you know we probably shouldn't walk by those people right um so this is but i mean that is something where you know, they make, that becomes a broader audience. I mean, one way, it's very important to me not just to preach to the choir in my work, or and my wife and I feel this way too, that while, sure, our core audience might sometimes be queer people, which is beautiful and wonderful, um, you know, I want a straight cis person to be touched by the work. Exactly, so, yeah. I think some commonalities we have to me that to me, I try to disrupt by connecting with you, not by saying, fuck you. So right on the surface, you might see some shocking things, but, um, a good example of this is in the Alice in Wonderland, the wonder production. I had a cis white straight woman play the caterpillar, even though the caterpillar represented transition from cocoon to caterpillar transitioning to a butterfly. And I said to her, you know, no matter who we are, there are events that occur in our lives that we're never the same afterwards. You cannot control them. Right. And anybody, even the most privileged white cis person in middle America has at times woken up and gone, I feel so alone. No one gets who I really am. Mm -hmm. And if I can make you understand that guess what that is a basic universal loneliness right and if you can then understand that for a trans person that's a daily loneliness right then maybe you can go i can shift my thinking about trans people because when i feel that way it's horrible and it happens to me maybe six seven times in my life that happens to you daily yeah you know but if I can find a way to pull the rug out from under you, you fall on your ass, you hate me for a second, and then you go, fuck, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, right. that's sort of the trick, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, that is the trick. I mean, and that is the disruption, too, you know, is, is help, you know, I guess it's, it's waking up, you know, people enough to know that... Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's waking up, really. <laughs> and, and the, yeah, and the one other thing I'll say about, like, back to your actual question is that's the other thing that's no different about us, about about um, lesbians or bisexual or gay people is our love is as deep. I mean, I – there are two people that are responsible, I, I feel, for me still being alive today. One is my wife, um, uh Megan Bronson Davidson at or stage name Aurora North. And the other is a dear friend in the burlesque cabaret community, Tigger James Ferguson, because if those two people had not accepted and 
loved me at the lowest, lowest gutter points in my life, underbelly, and told me we've all been there. I, I might not be here today. So I'm sure many heterosexual people have the same experience. And so maybe if if somehow you're on the other side of this argument still, that's what love wins means. Like everybody needs that person. And to define it by something you were taught and something that, sorry if this bothers people, something that an imaginary adult fairy tale called God told you <laughs> is true, maybe you need to step into your heart and not what you've been brainwashed with. Exactly. Right. Into the truth, into what's real and authentic. Because, you know, I, I grew up in a similar meaning, you know, Christian, very highly religious environment. And, you know, the interesting part, love is usually extracted, <laughs> which, which yeah. always kind of, you know, you just kind of go, what? <laughs> but you're so religious. <laughs> yes, Jesus loves you. Now suffer and shut up and don't complain. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, just don't live because you're going to die. That's oh. the really important part. <laughs> Everything that naturally brings you happiness and pleasure is a sin and bad. Right, right. You were born a sinner, and if you don't want to go to hell, you better just stop enjoying your life right now. Right, right this second. All of you, mm -hmm. put down that martini that you're drinking right now. <laughs> don't live, don't love, don't learn, all those things. Just don't do it. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, <laughs> the essence wrapped around that is truth. Um, and it is, it's love. It's love. And, you know, you know, I'm thankful for those people wrapped around you to, you know, help you through those moments because it's, you know, you do you need that tribe, a tribe, a really good tribe. Yes, that is important. It is. Well, uh, what what's um, so twisters and witches? Let's talk about that just yes. for a couple of minutes before I know we have to uh, get off the line. Um, that's our new full length production. I, I generally take about a year to make a new show. Um, and it's riffing on the books and or the movie Wizard of Oz. It, it's we are not retelling that story. We're using those iconic figures to um, tell queer history or queer experiences. Uh, and what we're getting at is that there's this thing that happens for many people who are um, in the LGBTQ community is that you are either forced to or or of your own volition or both, you're banished from home. You have to leave Kansas. You are ripped out. And that's sort of this violent act similar to a tornado. And we, we have to land somewhere, usually without much of a plan, and, and kind of find a new family. Yeah. And the big, dis the big disconnect for me as a kid watching this movie was that she wanted to go back to Kansas. Um, that was where it fell apart for me always. I was like, why, why would she do that? She, she wasn't understood there. It was gray. And she went away to a, a technicolor world where people love her and, and, and her magic was brought out and she's empowered. Why the hell would she go back to Kansas? But 
what I've learned to understand is that's because it's written from a traditional sort of heteronormative point of view. That's what you should want. Right. The- is to go back, go back to traditional family. And, but that wasn't satisfying to her. And, and it, it, for a, a queer person, we don't even have that choice. It's not like I can wake up and click my heels together and go back to anything. So we're not retelling that story. Um, we're using those characters. You'll, you'll see characters that you love. But I'm doing a lot of interviews, especially intergenerationally with queer people, because, you know, there are people that were there before 1969 and through it. And then there are young people now who, as dangerous and as much a struggle as their lives are, didn't grow up through the AIDS crisis like I did or, you know, weren't there. They know of these things second, third hand. And their experiences are important, too. So for me, these interviews, which we're going to fold into the score, like you're going to hear them there, here and there. I, I don't want to make it too documentary. I want it to be theater. Mm-hmm. But for me, in our purposes... Every queer person's individual story of, and I guess let me expand that. Um, I'm also going to, you know, if if a battered woman had to leave home and nowhere to go, you know, that is just the same kind of, I have to get on this tornado and ride away and I, I don't have anywhere to go. Right. I mean, there are lots of people who this affects, homeless kids. So everybody's story is a brick in our yellow brick road. Right. The yellow brick road for me is not plunk. You landed. There it is. We have to build our path. Each one of us little bricks at a time. And if I can somehow find a way to at least represent a a very wide array of intergenerational and interracial experiences to create a dramatic interpretation of this yellow brick road to know that the only way we, we get to the Emerald city is if we all are together, not by ourselves. Um, so that's, that's sort of the, the lofty <laughs> vision of the production. Wow. That's amazing. Right now we're working specifically on the twister ballet, which is about being ripped out and you can see a sneak peek of it at the Bryant Park Dance Festival for free on June 23rd in Bryant Park. (laughs) Okay. Yes, that is, I mean, that's, that's a gorgeous, gorgeous story. Gorgeous story. Thank you. So that will be wonderful. And, you know, we will ensure to link to all these little, um, events and things that, that wrap around, you know, all of the, you know, things that you guys are doing so that people can uh-huh. have an opportunity to sure. check you guys out. So yeah, twisters and witches. Oh, amazing. Yes. Amazing. Gorgeous. Sorry. <laughs> Love it. Well, we- well uh, for, for your audience, if you, if you want to keep up with that kinetic architecture, dance theater or KA dance theater.org or Instagram, KA dance theater, or you can hashtag the brides of burlesque, and find us as well. Yes, and we'll link that as well on your full episode and make sure people can connect to you. Thank you, Ari. Right. This was amazing. Sure. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for you know sharing all of that with the community and um, 
Let's keep freaking disrupting. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Thank you for having me. Of course. (laughs) Thank you so much for being a guest. And thank you to the Disrupt Now podcast community. To connect with today's guest and every other guest that we have on our show, there are two places that we keep not only all of the episodes, but the information and bio of each of our amazing guests and their contact information. The DisruptNowProgram.com site has all of the podcast link, as well as TeamGoo.com forward slash episodes. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll see you again on the Disrupt Now podcast.